Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. Let's have a little word of prayer before we begin, if you don't mind. Father God, we just thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Father, we thank you so much for this church. We thank you for what it means to this community. Father, just let this church continue to be a a beacon to the lost in this community, Father, that we could uh, bring bring the lost to you and further your kingdom. Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to dig into your word today and learn from you. We'd ask that your spirit would uh, teach us and guide us through your word today, Father. Um, Father, as for all things, we're so thankful for your son and his sacrifice for our sins. It's in his name we pray today. Amen. Um, so, we're this is the uh, fifth... I am statement that we're going to talk about today. Um, very interesting reading. If uh, and I'm sure this isn't one you typically you know read beforehand. But uh, as you're going through your Bible study this week, if you want to go back through uh, John chapter 11, it's there's some pretty good reading in there, pretty good studying. And uh, above chapter 11 in my Bible, it, the, there's the heading Christ raises Lazarus. So um, this is one of those things that I think, as I've always kind of studied through here, uh, you know, the point of emphasis obviously is uh, Christ raising Lazarus. Spoiler alert, Christ raises Lazarus in chapter 11. If you haven't read it already, I hate, hate to break that to you. I ruined it for you. You can read it. Um, but anyway, um, so this is the, uh, the sixth miracle that uh, John talks about in the book of John. It's the fifth I am statement. Um, one of the commenters that I read and studying for this a little bit talked about this being the capstone or the uh, largest miracle that John reports in the Gospel of John. Uh, obviously, you're raising someone from the dead. It's probably is as impressive as turning water into wine is. Uh, raising the dead is, is definitely um, a big deal. So let's just look at the beginning of uh, John chapter 11. Um, I'll start reading that. Um, I don't know that I'll read all of chapter 11. I may pick and choose as we go through there. But um, anyway, this gives you an idea of where we're at. <clears throat> now a certain man was sick, Lazarus, Lazarus of Bethany, the village, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So we're talking about Lazarus. Oh, golly, Lazarus. Uh, and Mary and Martha. I think I'm getting the th from Martha, and I'm putting it into Lazarus. And uh, at any rate, uh, verse two says it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So, uh, anytime we talk about Mary and Martha, I don't know about you guys. What do, what do y'all think about when we talk about when you hear Mary and Martha? I think about the episode where. Uh, you know, Martha is running around, 
like a chicken with her head cut off and cooking and preparing for people and this and that and the other. And Mary's kind of laid back like, hey, you know, Jesus is here. I'm going to hang out with him. And, and uh, you know, Martha gets a little upset and goes to Jesus and says, hey, you know, can you tell her to help out a little bit or something? And, and you know, and Jesus words to her that, you know, Martha, Mary's enjoying me while I'm here and while I'm with you. And uh, so I always think of that story when we um, think of these two ladies. And you see a little bit of that in here today as well as we go through this. So uh, verse 3 says, So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. So Lazarus is sick. It doesn't really tell us what Lazarus has. Um, I'm sure you could speculate on it in that kind of day, in that day uh, you know, common illnesses. But it just says Lazarus is sick. Uh, he must be very sick, though, because Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that he's sick. So they must be pretty worried about him. And I like the message that they give. We don't know who the messenger is. It doesn't tell us who the messenger is. It doesn't really tell us where the messenger is going. Although if we look back um, at the end of John chapter 10... Uh, like if you look in John 10, 19, uh, after Jesus had, as was talking in, in uh, chapter 10 about being the shepherd, the good shepherd, you look at verse 19 and 10, a division occurred again among many Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and is, and is insane. Others were saying, these are not the sayings of the demon possessed. Uh, and, then, and they're plotting to uh, try to get rid of Jesus, but they don't really know how to do it. Because Jesus has some popularity at that time. But at any rate, um, so verse 31, 1031, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father, for which of them are you stoning me? Uh, and then Jesus leaves the area uh, to avoid this, this trouble. So, um, and it says that he goes to, uh, to the area where John was baptizing. So, so Jesus is traveling away to get away from um, people who are trying to stone him at that time. And we'll see a little bit of why he does that then. Um, you know, it's interesting that if you go back to like John chapter 2, the, the, uh, the wedding um, where he turns the water into wine, and uh, his mother, Mary, approaches him about the problem with the wine. And at first he tells her, and he kind of rebukes her a little bit when he says, this, what does this have to do with me? This is not my time yet. And what he means that there is, is that the time of my passing has not come. The time for me, my crucifixion has not come. So Jesus is a very, very aware as we go through the uh, chapter of John, what he's supposed to be doing and what he's not supposed to be doing and when his time has come and so forth. And we'll see some language on that today too. But at any rate, Jesus leaves and he goes to this area uh, beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. So when... Mary and Martha have to send word to Jesus. We don't know how far away that is from them, but we, we get the idea that there's some distance in there. Now, just to make, make things kind of short, one of the commentators that I re read just said, basically, look, we don't have any idea how far away it was, how far they had to go, this and that and the other. You can read words into that to see. But a couple of the commentators that I, that I read about were, were pretty insistent that the messenger is going to go about a day's journey away from Bethany to, to where Jesus is. And then we're going to see Jesus talk about a couple of days here in a minute. 
and then it probably was a day's journey back uh, from where Jesus is. And we're going to see the four days translate into the chapter here in just a minute too. At any rate, they send message to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, notice they don't say dying either. I mean, they say sick. Um, many commentators talk about the fact that um, Lazarus, probably by the time Jesus has gotten this message, he probably is already dead. So the messenger shows up and says, hey, Lazarus is sick. Uh, he doesn't know. The messenger doesn't know. But Lazarus is probably dead by the time the messenger uh, shows up. In verse 4, though, it's interesting to look what Jesus' response to the messenger is. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified. Well, Jesus tells them right there, I mean, if, if they were really listening to Jesus, they would have known right there what was going to happen, weren't they? But they're not. They kind of hear it in passing. And Jesus is saying, look, I know you're telling me Lazarus is sick. This is not going to result in death, which is a, a funny thing to say, knowing what we know happens, right? And this is being done so that God may be glorified. Now think of that. Think of the whole thing that Jesus is saying there. Um, this whole thing to do with Lazarus and him becoming sick and Mary and Martha being involved, sending word to Jesus... This whole episode is so that the Son of God may be glorified. So it, it got me thinking to how many things in life that have probably happened in my life or that I've witnessed or, or things like that, things that have happened that have been for the purpose of glorifying God and how many of those things I've probably missed out on by just not paying attention and just not listening uh, not being in the word like I'm supposed to, not being in fellowship uh, with my brethren like I'm supposed to. How many of those things we probably miss out on? And you know, it's, it's real easy to go through the book of John and see these different miracles and say, well, yeah, that was for the glory of, of the Lord. But notice what he's using here. He's using sickness and death in that regard too. And that's something we probably don't want to say. Well, yeah, God's God's got his hands all over that. Um, but that's what God is doing here. He's using this sickness and then ultimately death uh, for his glory. I, th I just think that's a really interesting point. So, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So look at this. This is very interesting. So when he heard that he was sick, he didn't stay two days longer. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? I mean... And, and we'll kind of hear uh, Martha talk about that. I mean, Lazarus is described as the person Jesus loved. So when he hears from the messenger that Lazarus is sick, Mary and Martha, they want you to come. They've sent for you. And what is his response, basically? Yeah, I'll get there. Don't worry about it. So what are we going to do, Jesus? Well, we're going to stay here a couple more days, and then, uh, and then we'll think about going. That's a very interesting uh, but as we know, when we get to the end of this, this is a purposeful response by Jesus. Jesus knows at this point in time, I believe, that Lazarus, Lazarus has passed. But he also knows there's a couple of other deaths that Jesus is um, involved with. 
Um, let me find that. I thought I'd mark that. Maybe I didn't mark that. At any rate, there are a couple of times when you'll see Jesus involved with someone's death, but it's, a, it's an immediate response. And Jesus will respond to their death immediately. He's not going to respond to Lazarus' death immediately on purpose. And, and we'll see more about that in just a second. So he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And the disciples are kind of wondering about that. They're, they don't really know what to say about that. Um, 7 says, Then after this he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? Um, so much of this chapter has to do with people not listening to what Jesus is talking about, not understanding what he's talking about, and in that regard, questioning what he is doing. There, there's, we're going to see that there's some questioning here about him waiting the two days, and there's some questioning about why he's going now. And we saw from the end of chapter, 30, uh, chapter 10 that the Jews in Jerusalem would love nothing better than, or some of the Jews would love nothing better than to do away with Jesus at this time. And Jesus is saying, let's go back to that area. And the disciples are questioning him there. How many things does Jesus present to us in our daily lives or that we're a part of that we don't just grab a hold of and go along with, and we have to question. Why do we have to question everything all the time? I think part of it is just, you know, being an American. I think that's, that's something to do with, with um, you know, part of the, just the way we are. But as, as the church, I don't necessarily think it's the, our duty to question every single little thing. I mean, we have Jesus here telling his disciples, we're going to wait two days before we go. Well, why are we waiting two days? Why does Jesus have to say that? If it, this is Jesus. This is God incarnate telling people we're going to wait two days. Why does he owe anyone an explanation about that? Then this is Jesus telling the disciples, we're going to go back to Jerusalem. And they say, well, why, why would we go there? They want to kill you. Well, you remember when you were little and your parents said, what did they say? Because I said so. Because I said so. I, I think we just, I'm not saying we shouldn't question certain things. But I just think too often as God's church, we question everything. We don't have to question everything. Especially if it's something we're being told to do. Uh, example, um, as a member of this church, do I have to have Pastor Matt's um, permission to invite someone to church? No. As a member of this church, do I have to have Pastor Matt's permission to witness to someone? No. I mean, there are things that we're given to do as brothers and sisters in Christ, taking care of one another, loving one another, uh, see, you know, uh, seeing after each other in the church. There are things that we can do that we don't have to question, and we can just do it. But at any rate, so let's look then um, in uh, verse 8. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And you're going there again. This is an interesting answer to Jesus, um, 9 through 10. He says, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. 
Now, this is kind of an agrarian type of answer that Jesus had given the disciples, hoping that they'll understand what he's talking about. And it really relates back also to the statement that he gives Mary in chapter 2 when he says, this doesn't have anything to do with me. My time has not come yet. But what Jesus is telling them here, when they question him about going back and doing something, he's saying, I have work to do. So this is an agrarian reference to the fact that there's 12 hours in a day that you have time to get your work done, you know, on the farm, so to speak. And then there's an, uh, 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 a season of night when you're not expected to do anything. And Jesus is saying, look, this is my season of the daytime when I have to get some things done. And this deal with Lazarus is something that I have to tend to. And there's going to be a time when I'm not doing that. There's going to be a nightly time in my ministry, so to speak, where I'm not doing things, but that's not, not now. So that's what he says. He says, we're going to go to our friend um, Lazarus. And there's, some, there's a conversation in here he has with the disciples about, you know, Lazarus is sick, and they said, well, if you, or sleep. If, well, if he's just asleep, why do we go? Again, the disciples questioning Jesus in here. I, it's just kind of an interesting exchange with them. So anyway, uh, verse 18. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary. That plays into this as well because Bethany is so close to Jerusalem and this family is well known to other people. So when they hear that Lazarus has died, what do they do as good Jewish people? They go to their family. They go to this family to to comfort them and and all that. So there are other people at uh, Mary and Martha's house house at this time. And that's going to play into the story as well. So look in 20. Um, Martha, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. Isn't that Martha? Don't we expect Martha to do that? Martha's not going to sit at the house and wait for Jesus to come to the house, is she? Martha's going to get up and she's going to go and she's going to see what Jesus is all about. So in that regard, remember in the, in the former story, Martha was kind of being a busybody and Jesus kind of rebuked her about that. In this story, though, Martha is the one that goes to Jesus. She hears Jesus is coming. Jesus is about to do something. She doesn't know what it is, and she's going to be a part of it. Shouldn't we all in this story be a lot more like Martha in that regard? Other story, maybe we need to be a little bit more like Mary and just enjoy the fact that we have, we're getting to partake in something with Jesus. In this one too, though, Jesus is coming, and Martha wants to go be a part of it. Isn't that a lesson for us there? Because it says Mary stayed at the house. That's very interesting. I think that's very interesting that Martha, that Martha and Mary act this way there so Martha meets Jesus in 21 and she says now some people there's a little bit of a debate about this statement and some people say well is it a is she rebuking Jesus a little bit here is she complaining I don't necessarily think so because we see in the second part of her statement where this goes and she says Lord if you had been here my brother would not have died so that could be seen a little bit of a complaint couldn't it man if you'd have been here this wouldn't have even happened we could have done something about it But look what she says even after that. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So I think this is really just a statement of faith that uh, she's given Jesus at this time. Like, man, I know, I know you would have done something and could have done something had you been here. And I know that you still can. Look how Jesus responds to her in 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. And again, not understanding exactly what he's talking about, Martha responds, well, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. 
So at this time, the Pharisees and Sadducees were having a, a, a debate between them on the, on the end times. Imagine that, God's people having a debate on the end times. Can you, can you imagine that? I can't imagine God's people debating end times things. At any rate, Pharisees and Sadducees were having a debate. Pharisees believed definitely in some sort of resurrection at the end of the age, and Sadducees def- maybe not so much. But it shows that she's been influenced by this Pharisee way of thinking because she says, well, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now, here's where the crux of our our statement comes in for the lesson. Notice Jesus' response to her. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And we'll just stop right there for a minute. Now, his response to her is not that I can provide resurrection or I can provide life. It says I am what? I am. I am resurrection. And I am life. One of the commentators put it this way is is kind of a good way to understand this. Um, Everyone in this room today who's here right now, as we sit here right now and, and talk right now and so forth, we have life. We have life. Jesus is life. And that's hard for us to wrap our minds around. Uh, if you look back to the beginning of John, John talks about this in the, in the beginning of John. Uh, John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. That is really, that is such a, a, a broad concept for me to wrap my mind around, but Jesus is actual life. He, he can't overcome death if he doesn't have that authority over life and resurrection. Um, just, you know, another reminder of that, of the power of this, if you look back in Genesis, uh, get there. Um, 26 then God said let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea over the birds of the sky God created man in his own image and before that as you go through you know I'm not telling anything y'all don't already know but you remember as you go through Genesis how many times do you read this Um, then God said let there be light then God said then God said then God said his very, his very words have the power to create life because he is life. And by being life, then he, then he has um, authority over life and the power of resurrection in him. And that's very hard for a uh, concept for us to wrap our mind around. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. In me is power over death. I hold the keys of life and death. I am the foundation, the power of life itself. I can overcome death. I am resurrection. Now, don't you know that these words probably have a lot more meaning in in a few days with her, uh, even though they probably have uh, meaning in just a minute as well. But Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never 
die. Now think of that. Those are two pretty powerful statements that he's saying. He's saying, look, um, he who believes in me, if you're alive, you, you don't die. You will never die. And that's, that is a hard concept to wrap around until we see what he actually does with, with Lazarus. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asks her a question. So he makes these fundamental statements, and then what does he do? He turns around to Martha, and he says, Do you believe this? Do you believe this? So, and then look at her response. Her response, uh, one of the commentators I, I looked at reading this said, This is one of the best confessions of faith that you would ever read. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, and even he who comes into the world. Isn't that an awesome confession of faith? If you ever had to point to somebody about whether they know uh, that they've made a, um, a valid confession of faith, you could probably point them to this and say, look at Martha's words. Is that what you believe? Because if that's not what you believe, then you know maybe we need to talk about some things. But if that is what you believe, that is as good a confession of faith um, as, as I've seen, I think. And notice it says, yes, Lord, I have believed. She doesn't say, I just believe it now. She says, I have believed. I have believed you. You know, we don't know how long, but she says, I have believed you. Um, and just what a great, uh, awesome statement of faith there. So uh, we'll skip over then to uh, 38. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus says, remove the stone. Now, now notice what we just saw here, um, a statement of faith, but look, look at what happens here. And doesn't this, I think that this gives you an idea of what it's like just to grieve. I know I don't have to tell you, you guys what it's like to grieve, but look at this awesome, awesome statement of faith that we have over here. And then we kind of want, you know, wander a little bit because she says, um, Lord, by this time there will be a stench for he has been dead four days. And Jesus says again, did I not say to you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So he's just having a reminder that she is at one, one doubtful moment here that says, you know, I don't, I don't know if we should do this. Uh, he's been dead four days now. Okay, so the four days deal, the thing about that is, is that the rabbinic... Um, tradition of the day was that if a person died their spirit would hang around for three days that if you were to resuscitate the body within that three-day period and the spirit decided it was going to re-enter the body then you could resuscitate the person and they could live that's why the other miracles of Jesus uh, like Jairus uh, daughter raising her it was an immediate death and the reason Jesus waits two days is because he wants to get to this four-day moment. And he wants to get to the four-day moment because if you wait after the three days, then the religious elite that might be there or might have heard this can't just say, well, he just resuscitated the body. The spirit was hanging there and he resuscitated the body. By waiting the four days and by getting to the point in time where the body is actually decomposing, there's no doubt then, or no one can cast doubt on this miracle that Jesus raises Lazarus. So, um, 43, when he said these things, 
he cried out with a loud voice. Very interesting, he cried out with a loud voice. That's the same voice that we see in Genesis of creation. It's the same thing that we see at the beginning of John where he says, I'm the life, and he is involved in creation, and there's nothing that's ever been created that Jesus wasn't involved with. And this is Jesus on earth showing those things, improving those things that we read in Genesis in the beginning of John because he says, Lazarus, come forth. His very voice shows that he is exactly what he says over here. He is life. And he has the power of resurrection because he is life. By speaking those words, he has raised Lazarus from the death. Now think about that. Lazarus has been four days, dead for four days. So where is Lazarus' spirit? It's not here. We know that, right? What is it like as soon as you die? I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily know. I don't pretend to know. Um, but I know one thing. You're somewhere... And I hope you're with the Lord. Lazarus is somewhere. He's not here. That's what it means to be I am the life and I am the resurrection is that Jesus through his words can call that person back from wherever they were. Back into that body, back into this lifetime. Almost like he's piercing the veil between the two, right? And that's what it also means when he says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. 44, the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So when we talk about the, the fifth I am statement, I am resurrection and life, it is exactly what Jesus shows us here in this miracle. He is life. He is resurrection. We're going to see that in the ultimate death and resurrection um, in his story as well. So anything else on that that I've left out that y'all want, want to point out? Because I'm sure I probably left something out, but at any rate. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer then. Father God, we just thank you for this awesome word that you've given us today, Father. Father, we thank you for your son. Father, we thank you that he is life and he is resurrection, and we thank you for the promise that that brings us as his believers. Father, we just pray that you would help us to reach out to this town and this community and bring people to him that do not know that truth. And it's in your son's name we pray today. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas.com at hotmail.com. It's F-B-C-D-U-M-A-S at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.